Hello, everyone, and welcome to Data Femme, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and with me, I have Sarah Nell Rodriguez, who is an expert on data literacy. She is also on the board of the Sisterhood of Technology Professionals, who kindly sponsored this episode. So stay tuned to hear more about them. start with you giving me a brief overview of how you built your career in data science. I laugh at that question every time I get it just because I didn't start the way so many people started with data science at all. Um, I actually never finished college and uh, just because of personal reasons and financial reasons. And I just kind of had to enter the workforce and make a living, put a roof over my head. And I was in retail for a long time. And when I was in retail, I uh, gained enough credibility. They let me work with some of the money behind the scenes. And that's where I started using different financial data and information and that eventually actually led me to my first real office job where I worked as a collector. <laughs> um, I worked with spreadsheets a lot and talked to people who owed money to various companies. And uh, eventually that just kind of evolved where I kept working more with the data end of things. And we're talking like a 10 year span here too, where I just started growing my data skills first in Excel and then uh, I actually got a company a job at a company called Manpower, and that's where I really started using more systems beyond Excel. I started using something called Cognos, which many people know about today, and that just became really part of my job. Enough where when analytics departments started becoming a thing, uh, we're talking like 10 years ago now, I was brought in to actually help start their analytics team because I knew the data there as well as I did. And that led me into taking a bunch of different classes, like doing my Lean Six Sigma. And then I just took classes at the local community college. I did a lot of stuff to just be self-taught. And I did a lot of learning on the job, too, from different people who would teach me. And that led me to different visualization platforms and using them. I actually used one in my Six Sigma project for my green belt. And that's how I got into data science. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, what I'm finding is that there really isn't a traditional background. And what a lot of people I interview have in common is that they came through, you know, what you might think of as a side door, but it's not. You know, um, I think like it's interesting because when I choose people, it's always like, you know, people who are very active on social media, very present and are often advocates in the space. 
And, you know, that type of work takes a lot of flexibility that even if there were a traditional path into data science, I'm not sure that that path would garner like such flexibility that's needed. Um, because you really do have to think on your feet and learn new languages and new tools at the snap of your fingers and school doesn't necessarily teach that. Well, I won't. When I was going to school, too, um, this is in the 90s, it's not like you had the option for data science either. There wasn't an analytics degree. It was, you could definitely get your math degree, but I actually went for teaching at the time. And there is nothing even remote about any of the topics in data. So it just... Um, I wanted to put a roof over my head was the goal. <laughs> wanted to make more money to do that. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that's just the 90s. Like, even I just completed my MBA from Tulane University, and right during my second year was when they introduced the master's in analytics. And that's a new thing. So, I mean, Tulane isn't necessarily the standard of all of all programs. I know that there are pro programs that have been having analytics as part of it for longer, but I still think that it's a pretty big trend that hasn't been completely fulfilled. So in some ways, the industry is growing really quickly and in some ways, not so quickly. You talked a little bit about your entry into the field, and I think that that's a really you know, important way for people listening to get to know both like your story and how it might apply to their future or present story. How would you say that your career has evolved since you started and like what different types of data related roles have you had during that time? I really appreciate that question because while I ended up in data eventually, I was a data analyst starting this new analytical department, I actually found that it was the education piece of it that I became very passionate about because I wish I would have had a way to learn these skills so much earlier in my career. So I started thinking about how other people learn and I became a trainer actually for Tableau and I traveled the world teaching Tableau to multiple companies and customers. And from there, um, I actually started uh, running their Train the Trainer program, actually teaching people how to teach. And I don't think people think of data from that perspective, but how do you effectively convey a histogram to someone? How do you even know what a histogram is independent of a platform? Or, and what use would you have for it in business? So just thinking through data from that perspective of not just the business use, but that learning and being an empathetic communicator. And that still to this day is what I'm extremely passionate about and still what my job is to some extent. If you would have brought up the topic of data visualization 10 years ago uh, and you asked a room of people, how many people have heard of data visualization? only the one-off outlier would have raised their hand. So I think that right there is the huge difference between Tableau. It's the huge difference with Click from like the Pythons and R's of the world. Um, that R and Python are less about telling that story through the use of visualization, whereas Tableau and Click are about 
creating a narrative in a way that has never been done before with data. You know, it's not these gigantic dot matrix printers now showing you all these number schemas and whatnot, printing out these just roll after roll of paper. It's now displayed in this way where some would actually call it beautiful. And I think that's such a unique space. And still, sometimes, depending on where I'm talking to people, like I was just in Mexico last week, and I asked people if they've ever heard of hashtag DataViz out on Twitter. And still, only a couple people raised their hands. So I think depending on what region of the world you're in, it's still starting to catch up. But definitely, if you're in the US, you're in Europe, um, parts of Asia, it's definitely growing so much faster in a way. I, I It's just unbelievable to see the last few years. I agree. And I think what's really cool is to see you know, people creating Twitter profiles to show off their visualizations. I've seen that so many times where like, you know, I'll get a notification on Twitter that a million of people I follow follow this new person who created a Twitter profile just to participate in these weekly challenges. And so I think that's pretty empowering too, um, that we like, you know, use the social media tools to drive engagement with analytics, but then it can also be applied vice versa. Is visualization as good a place to start for newbies as I think it is? <laughs> My generic answer to that is it depends. <laughs> um, and that's not a fair answer either. And the reason why I say it depends is because just hearing you talk about it, you can sense that uh, as a maker of some sort, that you love the creative process, um, that visual aspect of it is really important to you. So what I'm hearing from you is you're motivated to go out there and learn the skills related to data visualization. And also, this is a data science podcast. You have an understanding of data. But what I have found through my years of training is not a lot of people do. And that's actually why I'm in the current job I'm in right now, which is called data literacy. And it was something I never had a name for when I was in the classroom. And it was where people would learn analytics, but specific to a platform. They wanted to see the count of things within a range. Um, they would only know what that meant on a specific platform, and they never knew the power of that and the reason, the why, why they would ever use that. And I saw that happen so frequently, and I started changing my training style, actually, to account for that, where I would start talking about a concept and why it exists, why you would want to use this. Even if you're creative and you want to create that impactful visualization, you have to be responsible too. And you have to have the responsibility in knowing the data you're working with and the concepts you're working with too. Especially with the amount of data we have these days and how accessible it is, how much it informs what's going on in our life, we have to be responsible in our use of it. So I actually think that um, starting with something like data literacy, understanding analytical and data concepts prior to a platform is more important than getting into the platform. 
So as I mentioned before, this episode is sponsored by SysTech, a nonprofit organization with a mission to affect radical change in the tech industry by challenging the status quo on diversity, inclusion, and gender equality matters. SysTech is hosting their annual conference on May 29th in Bloomington, Minnesota, where they'll highlight taboo topics, personal stories, and practical skills that are often underrated at other women's tech conferences. I myself will be attending the conference as a member of the press, and I can't wait. I would love to see a large group of you there. And if you're local to Minneapolis or need a good excuse to experience the late Minnesota spring, please register for the conference at systechcon.org. And if you use the code DATAFEM, you will receive a free SysTech t-shirt at registration. If you want to find out more about the organization at large, you can also get that information at systechcon.org and you can sign up to be a part of the community and receive updates. But in the meantime, let's get back to our show. So you kind of started to cover this when you talked about responsibility, but where and how does data literacy, your job, intersect with data ethics, which is becoming a larger and larger trend to talk about at conferences and data meetups, et cetera. I think data ethics is a strong part of data literacy, at least to me. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to the people we're informing that we are using the data in the correct ways possible, that we're not somehow creating skewed or biased data that we're understanding how aggregations impact numbers. We're validating what we're doing. And I think without that, um, we're going to see more ethical concerns uh, gain in the coming years. And uh, it's the same thing if people start to not trust their data, which is a big problem these days. You can ask people in a room, again, who trust their data, the majority of people are going to raise their hand. So ethics is a huge part of data literacy because of that. And where do issues of diversity and inclusion factor into this whole literacy and ethics bubble? If we are using conscious or unconscious bias um, at all in our data, again, that could impact diversity and inclusion. If we're allowing our bias to get in the way of the data, it could impact diversity and inclusion. Um, you could look at kids uh, at a school and uh, really apply a blanket average to everyone rather than actually getting down into the numbers and looking at the personal data of a student. Those are real stories. I mean, that happens where you just average students and you don't actually look at the kids who need help. There's a responsibility that goes along with that of being able to dive into it and pull the right inside out and not let your bias get in the way of that. Agreed. And I think that sometimes even having a smaller data set can help. Like I've worked with large data sets and small data sets. And when it's like a smaller group of people, like a cohort within a university, sometimes you're able to narrow down who you're looking for to a select group of students that fit a certain very narrow profile. And at that point, I think, 
you know, the risk of overgeneralizing is less because then if with a smaller data set, you can go back through and look at these people's real profiles and pedigree, you like narrowed down it, you narrowed down a little bit so that you didn't have to really look through everybody's background. That's again why I try really hard to talk about bias when it comes to data literacy too, because I think when we talk about it, it is biased toward organizations right now. We talk about data literacy in terms of people who already have a job and access to technology and a company behind them. Um, but to me, it's also about what about the people who need a job? Data literacy should be for them too. And uh, Alan Hillary is actually a person um, I'm connected with out in the community that we've talked about at large. And he and I have extensive talks about the underserved communities and access for them. Because how do you get data training in the hands of people who need it? Maybe it's people who need to change careers. Maybe it's people in the service industry like myself who somehow wanted to do more than work at a cash register their whole life. But how do they access those skills needed? So uh, we need to actually start incorporating data literacy skills in programs into places where it's embedded in the way people live. Put it at workforce development places. Make it so much more affordable to people online. Because right now you can go online and you can take courses to some extent, but a lot of them you don't get recognition unless you pay money. So what if people don't have access that way? What if finance is a roadblock to access? Um, or what about technology too? What if people don't even have access to a computer? And that's still a real problem these days, the ability to access technology. There's a cost that goes along with that. I think also there are so many options to learn to code nowadays. Not a ton, but there are. But for strictly data science, there aren't a ton of options. And I think a lot of people who are getting into data science ask me during consulting sessions, like, should I join a boot camp? And my answer is usually that a boot camp might be too narrow. You know, there aren't a lot of like um, individual like programs for data science, you kind of have to learn on the job or teach yourself. Um, and I mean, I'm always happy when somebody comes to me and asks for my help with my consulting sessions, but it's still kind of a hard deal because it's like you, when you, even when you put down like $50 towards learning more information, you still put down $50 and you might not know if this is the way to go, you know, because we don't have those like staples of, okay, you want to get into art, maybe take a class at the Met. You know, there's like certain things that have been around a while and data science is not one of them. Um, so I don't know if we really need a consistent path to get into the industry or if that will develop over time, but I think it can be hard for people to know where to put their money into to learn more. So what would you suggest for somebody in who has maybe like a budget of $100 wanting to learn how to do basic data science? You know, where would you direct them? Oh, man. <laughs> First, I want to respond to something you just said, too, just uh, that there's not one direct path 
to data science too. And that actually brings up a point that I've been thinking of recently too is, uh, and something I talk about to people a lot when I do public speaking, where technology is moving so swiftly, we cannot keep up with the skills. And I, we talked about when I went to college in the 90s, we talked about when you went to college too for your MBA, that data science just became a thing or available to take. So the newness of it, once again, that's an example of technology changing so swiftly. What we're talking about today is going to be outdated by this time next year, probably. So whatever method you take, you have to be prepared to keep learning no matter what. So you have to approach data from an agile perspective. You have to be iterative. You have to go into it and not keep this mindset of this is permanent, this is static, because learning what you will today in data science may not be what you need to know in data science down the road. So with that said, uh, I think one of the best approaches to data science is to immerse yourself in a community or to find a community, whether that's a local meetup of data science, just start talking to people, get to know people. Um, I'm a huge proponent of community colleges, actually, and their continuing education programs. Uh, generally, they are some of the most affordable access to education these days. And the other thing I really like about community colleges, too, is it's actual practitioners who are teaching you. So it would be people like me teaching you like data visualization. Um, it would be someone else who is running program management at a company teaching you program management. It'd be someone who uses Python on a regular basis teaching you Python. But it's actual people who use this in their everyday job and can teach you skills that they are using today. And they can also teach you about the evolution of those skills and also where they see it going tomorrow. I feel like, you know, you know if you know the skills or not. And some is expected to be taught to you on the job. But it would be nice if there was a constant connection to industry so that you don't feel that kind of gap looming <laughs> over you as you apply as graduation approaches, you know? Yeah, and that's been one of the reasons why anytime I'm looking at expanding my skills in a certain area, I tend to look first uh, at continuing education options because uh, those are going to be based off of the most recent trends happening in the job market. And you can go ahead and you can look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and see what are the fastest growing jobs. But if you want a reflection of the fastest growing jobs that are in demand, look at community college programs and see what they're teaching you today. Um, living in Seattle, uh, we have really great community colleges here, but also the University of Washington has a fantastic continuing education program that really helps you to learn some of these things that we're talking about today, like the Pythons, the R's, but also like the technical side of creating education these days too. How are you going to be an instructional designer, which is a whole other technical job too that can involve data science. So um, definitely an interesting reflection of the current jobs uh, status. And is your particular role as a data literacy manager, strategic manager, is that something that people can expect to find at other companies in the future? Like, is that something that... Um, the next generation can get trained in and expect to find jobs in at companies more and more in the future? As 
far as I am aware, I am the only data literacy strategic manager in existence in the world. <laughs> um, I am pretty sure it's a brand new title <laughs> that um, I hope there are more roles like this. I hope there are more roles for women helping companies to determine what their data strategy is and to think about the skills gaps with data today and to help their employees to be empowered. Um, I really hope that is the direction it goes. I know that things like chief data officer are, but what about the people who are executing on the data strategies? That's where a data literacy strategic manager um, would excel. Well, great. So, I mean, we have a lot of amazing content here. Is there anything else you want to share with my data fem audience before we wrap up? I have a really strong community of women who I surround myself with, and I, I essentially consider them my board of directors, just like how SysTech has a board. I have my own personal board, and I think any woman in data today needs one. They need to have that strong support mechanism of women just letting them know they're not crazy, <laughs> that they're doing amazing things, and that no matter what, those women are going to be there to help them um, climb or not climb or to achieve whatever goals they want. But uh, we always tell each other, lift as you climb. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really enjoyed this conversation with you, and I hope it's the first of many that we have about data literacy, including at SysTechCon, where we will both be, and where I hope that all you DataFem listeners want to join us. And as I mentioned before, if you go to SysTechCon.org, you can register, and don't forget to use the promo code DataFem so that you can get your free t-shirt. I am looking forward to seeing a lot of you there, and I hope you are looking forward to the next DataFem episode. Thank you, as always, for listening.